So we are, as I said, wrapping up this series that we started uh, several weeks ago as we have looked at the, the life of Joseph. And, and this is the Old Testament Joseph, not the uh, fa- earthly father of Jesus. Joseph is a different Joseph in the Old Testament. We find his story at the end of Genesis in the latter chapters of Genesis. Um, so again, we, we see again, where Joseph lands in the line, kind of the in the Old Testament, we see God's covenant is started with Abraham, and then we have these, these kind of three generations of fathers and sons of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we see the, this kind of theme run through the Old Testament as that, that phrase kind of comes up um, often. Uh, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, again, are fathers and sons, these, these first three generations of this first covenant that God establish, establishes um, with the nation of Israel. And, and, and Joseph's story falls right after Jacob. He's, Jacob has 12 sons, and these, these 12 sons eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel, and that's what we see later throughout the history in the Old Testament. And Joseph is son number 11 in the, in the 12 brothers. As we see, this, this is an, an interesting family dynamic. Right? These 12 sons, there are four different moms, so this is a blended family situation, right? And they have all kinds of drama to go with it, right? And, and we, we've seen that as we go through his, his, this story. Uh, as we followed Joseph's life, we looked on, in week one when he opened it up, is we saw that, that Joseph has two dreams from God, and he shares these dreams with his family, um, and they did not like what these dreams showed, right? And, and so Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers. And then he ends up in Egypt. And we saw in week two where he gets sold as a slave to Potiphar in Egypt. He gets promoted to second in command in his household very quickly. Um, and God blesses that household uh, with Joseph there. And then he gets wrongfully accused by Potiphar's wife um, and gets thrown into prison. And then we left off that week, again, with the same thing happening in the prison of Joseph being just promoted through the ranks of leadership and authority in the prison, where he ends up second in command in the prison. And we see kind of the same thing happens there that happened in Potiphar's house as he's there. Then last week, we looked at his life uh, um, of where he's now in the prison, and, and he ends up interpreting these two dreams for two of Pharaoh's officials who Pharaoh gets mad at, throws him in prison. Joseph has this interaction with him there. Um, And we saw some significant signs of growth in Joseph's character and in his maturity, in the way that he handled this entire situation, including how he gets forgotten by the cupbearer, even after doing all the right things. And it says that the cupbearer completely forgets about him. And doesn't um, see that. Again, we've, we've seen through this process, in these different phases of Joseph's life, as, as God is molding and maturing Joseph's character. Right, so that he can handle the role that God has for him. And, and, and where these dreams eventually come true. These dreams that started out the story, right? When he tells his brothers that they're all going to bow down to him, right? And he's going to be in a place of authority. And that's, of course, what they didn't like, right? And, and yet here we are now at the conclusion of his story. And, and we still have a lot to cover in Joseph's story. There's way more than we can look at today. And, and so we're going to be kind of skipping over a lot in Joseph's story here. Uh, today as we wrap this up. And so I encourage you to, to go back and to read this story out of, out of the text yourself. I mean, again, we don't have time to do that. Today we are covering Genesis chapter 41 through 47. Okay, and so I, I know probably some of you are thinking, well, we are going to get out very late today. 
and which I hope that that's not true. We're going we're gonna to cover it quickly. So again, as you open up your Bible to Genesis 41, that is where we are going to start today um, as we, again, get this kind of quick um, overview summary of his story. But before we do that, to say is that, that when we get to this phase of his story, okay, is that Joseph's story finally comes to resolution. Okay, we've seen kind of the buildup to this so far. We've seen how, how Joseph has been um, betrayed. He's been backstabbed. He's been uh, uh, overlooked, right? He, and, and yet, at this time, he has kept his heart and his mind focused on God. And we've seen these, these glimpses and pictures through his story of, of how God is developing his character and getting him and preparing Joseph, right, to fulfill everything that God needs him to do. But here in these, these chapters, his story finally comes to resolution. And I know as we go through this story, I don't know about you, but like I read it, and I'm, I'm like, I'm secretly kind of rooting for Joseph. Like, come on, man, like you can do it, right? And, and we see that, and now we finally see this happen, right, where it all comes to a culmination. So we're going to start um, in Genesis 41, verses 1 through 9, um, which is, we just see just kind of the next big thing happens to Joseph here in his story. And, and again, where we left off, right, he was in the prison, the cupbearer is, is gone, and completely forgot about Joseph to advocate for him to Pharaoh. So, but if you're here with us in person, you can grab your Bible or the ones in the seats and open up, follow along with us online. You can follow along as well in your Bible or just listen as I read it, but we're going to start Genesis 41 uh, at verse 1, where it says, two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed uh, that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. And in his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. And then he saw seven more cows uh, come up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. And then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy, fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. But he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. And then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. And then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. And the next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dream. So he called for all of the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When, uh, and when Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. And finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. So again, I want to pause there to say, so we have this kind of premise now of, of now Pharaoh has some dreams, right? And, and they're disturbing dreams, and he has no idea what they mean. And so again, he goes to this, and then finally the cupbearer is reminded of Joseph at this time, right? As Pharaoh's trying to figure this out, and he's like, oh, there's this guy. Right, this guy to help me with my dreams. Right, he's he's right here. He's in this prison, and so uh, we see that again. Joseph um, is remembered by the cupbearer. The cupbearer goes to Pharaoh and says, "Hey, I, I need to uh, confess. Right, I was supposed to tell you about this guy, and I didn't. Right, I I, I fell short. Right, as he says, I, he remembered that he, he didn't do what he was supposed to do, and so he goes to Pharaoh and says, "There's this guy in prison that that can tell you." what your dream means. And so they go and get Joseph, right? And they clean him up. It says they change his clothes and they, they shave his beard and they, they get him all ready, right? And then he, they take him into see Pharaoh. Okay, and so then Pharaoh asked Joseph to interpret his dreams. 
And then we see what happens. Again, we see Joseph's response to Pharaoh in Genesis 41, verse 16. And this is where, again, Joseph says, it's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Now, I want to look specifically at this response because this, again, is a very imperative turn in the entire story. Hey, because um, in this moment, right, we can compare this back to Genesis 40, what we looked at last week when the cupbearer and, and, the, and the, the, um, the other guy, right, the bread guy, um, they, they, and I forget his, his role, right? Um, but when they were in prison and they gave Joseph his, his, their dreams, and remember that his response to them, right, at that point, um, which at this point we see from the text, was two years ago. Okay, so, we, so Joseph has had two more years of character development, right, since that situation. And, and there he acknowledges God's role. I mean, he, he, he says only God can interpret dreams. And then he looks at it, and then he, but he says, now, but tell me your dreams. Right, that was his response two years before this. Notice his response this time to Pharaoh. He says, it's beyond my power to do this, but God can tell you what it means to set you at ease. Again, he, he, he responded well two years ago, right? He's like, hey, it, it's God's job, right? But I can handle it. Now, this time we see this more fully developed character in Joseph. And notice he takes himself completely out of the equation. His response this time is, it's all God. Right? And I'm just his mouthpiece. I'm just here representing him, right? And, and we see this is, again, another step forward in his character development from where it was two years ago. So then Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams, right? And then Joseph gives him the explanation of his dreams that he gets from God. And at this point, he is, the, again, the mouthpiece of God communicating this. And so we're going to pick up this story in 41 verses 28 through 36. Where he says, so this will happen just as I have described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterwards, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. The famine will destroy the land. The famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God, and he will soon make them happen. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. And that way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. And so we see Joseph, again, not only explains the dreams, right? But he also applies it to Pharaoh's life, right? And to the, to the decisions that are in front of Pharaoh. He says, God's telling you what, what's going to happen. And, and now he's also, through Joseph, telling Pharaoh how to prepare for it and how to survive through this coming famine. And, and we see in this, 
explanation, right, that it's interesting in verse 33, right, again, how Joseph um, presents what he needs to do. I mean, he says, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land. Now, I will tell you, I think this is a very dangerous um, piece of advice to give to Pharaoh, because there's a chance that Pharaoh's going to take this advice and, and conclude Right, that Joseph is implying that Pharaoh is not a wise and intelligent man. Because guess who is in charge of Egypt right now? Pharaoh, right? So again, he comes to him, he's like, hey, Pharaoh, by the way, you need to appoint a, a wise and intelligent person, right? Which naturally, I mean, this is a dangerous statement, right? It's implying, right, that Pharaoh doesn't fulfill that role. Right? And with that said, though, again, but... But he could have responded that way, but that's not the way that Pharaoh responds. Right? Pharaoh responds very differently. Okay? Pharaoh's response, um, instead of that you know, um, backfiring on Joseph, it, it actually moves the entire thing forward, right? Because um, not only is this kind of a dangerous, foolish thing to say, but it's also very smart. Right? It's, it's a good plan. Now, it, again, not only could it imply that Pharaoh, is, who is currently in charge of the land of Egypt, isn't intelligent-wise, but it is saying that whoever is in charge must be very disciplined, right, and stay true to the plan, even in the midst of the seven years of prosper time, right? Because, again, there's, there's a huge temptation at that time to just, to just spend it, right? Like, you have it, like, to not, because what Joseph is, is telling him in the plan is to hold back 20% of everything that is brought in in those seven years. That is not an easy thing to do, is it? Right? To hold back 20% in a time of prosperity. But yet that's exactly the plan that Joseph presents, right? And I would say presents it from God, right, to Pharaoh at this time. But again, lucky for Joseph, and I'll say it was not lucky for Joseph, right? It was God's hand in the situation, right, in the way that Pharaoh responds. So let's look at how Pharaoh responds as we pick up at verse 37, okay, where it says, Joseph suggested we're well, um, so Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh, right? And so Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. So you will be in charge of my court, and all of my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours." So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Again, we see here now what happens here, right? Is, is again, Pharaoh could have literally killed Joseph if he didn't like his advice. Right, but and he had the power to do that. I mean, that's what happened, right, to to these other officials, right? When Pharaoh doesn't like it, he just kills you. Hey, but yet Pharaoh goes completely the opposite direction, right? And he reacts differently. And instead of, of executing Joseph, he literally puts him in charge of the entire country. Hey, and, and he promotes him. Now, again, we see this same pattern. Now, right, he finally gets out of prison, and now he is suddenly instantly promoted to second in command. 
Right? And we see exactly the same pattern repeat one more time in Joseph's story of what from Potiphar's house, right? And then it, it happens in a prison, right? And this time it happens faster and on a bigger scale than Joseph probably could have ever imagined. And so here we see um, this familiar cycle in Joseph's life repeats this one last time. And then the seven years of plenty start to happen in Egypt. Right? And the dreams come true and, and coming through this. And Joseph, again, is diligent. He holds back the 20%. Right? And again, Pharaoh backs his authority. Um, and, and, and he executes the plan perfectly. And then there is just these huge storehouses of all kinds of food in Pharaoh's land right throughout Egypt. And then right on cue, right, seven, the eighth year is the famine hits. And it hits fast and it hits hard. And yet, again, the crops just stop. Like, everything in their economy stops. And, and, and very quickly, Egypt gains a reputation around the entire region. Right? And the reputation is there's no food anywhere except for Egypt. Right? And, and, and now this, at this point, right, when we, as we fast forward to this, this is where we pick up again with Jacob and with the other brothers. Because the famine, again, is not just in Egypt, right? The famine is very widespread. And the famine affects not just Egypt, but all of the surrounding countries okay? and, and all these families. And so we're going to pick up the story again here at uh, 42, verses 1 through 6. It says, when Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? I've heard there is grain in Egypt, so go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. So Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let uh, Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan as well. So we see again here what happens, right? They, they, they go down, at least not all the brothers except for Joseph and Benjamin, right? Ten of them go down there okay, to buy grain. And it says in verse 6, since Joseph was governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. And when they arrived, they bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. Now, I, this is a very significant point in the story, isn't it? Right, as we follow the story, right here, this literally is when Joseph's original dreams happen. Exactly what was in the dreams, right? Exactly what Joseph said. He's like, "There, way where all of you will bow down to me." Right, and that was the interpretation of the original dreams. And here it happens. And notice when it happens, Joseph is is presented with. A very critical choice, isn't he? Right? Because now he gets to decide, how am I going to handle this? And, and as we see through this, as, as this actually happens, right, this is where we can conclude 
right, in the story, if this has all been about, about God building Joseph's character and, and, and maturing him to be ready to handle when this moment happens, and now the moment happens. Right? And so we can kind of infer, right, from the story that Joseph's character has now been completely transformed by God. Because what Joseph does in this moment is dramatically different than how he handled the dreams all those years before when his character was not ready to handle it. In fact, we see exactly what Joseph does, how he handles it. And, and in this passage, I will say is that we see how Joseph's character is completely transformed by God. Right? And that he is 100% ready to handle this, this position of authority, this whole situation right, with his brothers and all the wrong that's been done to him. I mean, all of the baggage, all of the backstory, all of that stuff he handles in an incredibly godly way. Okay? And we see this happen in Genesis 45, verses 3 through 15. Again, skip through a whole bunch of chapters, right? and, and we, we end up here. Um, in Genesis 45, um, 3 through 15. And to say that, we're skipping, I'm skipping quite a few chapters, okay? I encourage you to go back, right, and to read them. There, there's this Joseph kind of messes with his brothers for a while. They kind of go back and forth. He, he, he hides his identity and, and, again, makes them run scared. Like, there's all kinds of things that happen in between um, in these chapters that we just skipped over. But here in this passage, 45, 3 through 15, is where we see that the whole story finally comes to resolution, okay? and we see how Joseph's character carries him through this situation. Picking up Genesis 45, picking up at verse 3, where he says, I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So, so they came closer, and, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me uh, to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. So now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and your herds, and everything you own. I will take care of you there, for there is still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you and your household and all your animals will starve. And then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honor position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you've seen, and when you bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. And then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. Okay, now, now again, this is where Joseph, I mean, he pulls back the curtain, right? Reveals his, 
his true identity, and everything kind of comes to, to realization. The truth is exposed, right? The cat's out of the bag. Hey, now, again, we notice he, he has this different connection with Benjamin. Benjamin is his only full-blooded brother out of all of the 11 of them. Hey, just Joseph and Benjamin have the same mom and the same dad, right? This, there's only, the rest of them are, are, are half-siblings. They, we see this connection, and yet notice that Joseph restores this with all of the brothers, right? I, I mean, we, they find this. And this is where, again, true resolution happens. And, and, and as we see that in this is, again, this is where we see Joseph's character, right, stands up to, to and makes the right choice, right? And his perspective here in this moment is dramatically different than what we saw when we first were introduced to Joseph all those chapters later or earlier in Genesis, Okay, so, so what do we learn, right? As, as we see this resolution of Joseph's story, what do we learn from Joseph? Okay, and, and again, how does it apply even to our lives and to our faith journey today? Okay, well, the first thing, and again, out of this passage, we learn some really important things. Okay, the first thing that we learn comes out of, of verse 5, out of this passage, is that God's desire and plan is to save us. Okay, and that was true then, right? In fact, that's what he says in, in 5, right? He's like, God sent me here to save you. So you will not die in this famine, so that your whole family will be preserved, right? God's heart is to save the world, and that has not changed. God's heart is still the same. God's desire and plan is to save us, to save all of us, right? Not just from earthly famine, but to save us for eternity, Right, and that's what we're, again, his plan and his desire, right? And we're about to celebrate that plan, right, as we enter into this Easter season. I mean, that's what Easter's all about, is God's plan to save the world, right? And sending Jesus as the Messiah in his, his sinless life, his death and his resurrection, right? It's everything we're going to celebrate at Easter is God's plan to save us. And that plan is still true today. Right? God's heart and desire is to save us. And the only way that we're saved right, is to join the journey of faith, to pray and receive Christ as our Savior, to get the forgiveness and the grace and that love into our life instead of pushing God away and saying, I can handle it myself to let him in. Right? And, and once we let him in and we join the journey of faith and receive Christ as our Savior, right, then, then we can, can start walking with Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that our struggles will stop. Right? In fact, Jesus told us exactly the opposite of that. Okay? In John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I mean, how much do those words right, even apply to Joseph's life? Did he have trials and sorrows? Absolutely. Right? But yet God still saved him. Right, God would still work in his heart and in his life. And God used Joseph in an incredible, miraculous way to, to save God's people from this famine. And God wants to, to have each of us, again, be saved in the same way. Right? For not just an earthly famine, but for eternity with him in heaven. We will have 
trials and sorrows on this earth. But we can take heart, right? We can, we can find peace in Jesus because he has overcome the world. He has saved us. Amen. I just want to make sure you're still awake. Hey, number one, we learn, right, that God wants to save us. Okay, the, the next thing that we learn okay, is, is that God, God's promises and his will for our lives often doesn't fit into our human timeline. Okay, God's promises and his will for our lives often does not fit in our human timeline. Right? And again, just like Joseph, right, he got that glimpse when he was 17 years old. And he's like, hey, God, that's an awesome plan. Let's do that. Right, and he goes and tells his brothers, right, and to his shock, right, they don't respond well. And he gets, right, and he starts in this whole story, right, into the, all of these years of character development until that finally comes true. I guarantee you that Joseph was not expecting the timeline, you know, of, that actually played out. Again, did God's promise come true? Yes. But guess how long it took? 22 years. Literally, 22 years. Okay, because we can go back through the text and we can piece together the timeline. In Genesis 37-2, we are told that he is 17 years old when he first gets those dreams. Okay, and then in 41 verses 46 through 30, okay, um, the, the text tells us that Joseph was 30 years old when he is appointed second in command of Egypt, right, when, he, when Pharaoh promoted him. Okay, so from 17 to 30, Okay, then there are seven more years, right, of the bumper crops. So then he's 37, right, when the famine starts. And then when his brothers come to him in 45, verse 6, right, he tells his brothers they are two years into the seven years of famine. So there's another two years, right, 37 to Joseph was 39 when that dream came true. 39 minus 17 is 22. 22 years of character development and maturity and struggle and strife and questions and, and being overlooked and backstabbed and deceived, and yet Joseph stayed with God, right? And his character got developed and he matured, right? And 22 years until it came true. Second Peter 3, 8 and 9. It says, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. And the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. And I'm sure there were times in Joseph's 22 years when he's sitting back going, God, really? You're being too slow, God. And I will say, I'm guilty, right? I, there's a times in my life I sat back and looked at God and be, God, you are being too slow. Right? For just fulfill your promise, please, I'm ready. Right? And God looks at, just like he looked at Joseph, he looks at me and says, no, you're not, Brian. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Keep going. Right? Keep going. Right? I trust me is what God says, right, in the midst of that timeline. His promises will 100% come true. Right? But we have to be careful to not attach a timeline to those promises because we do that all the time. Oh, sorry, I do that all the time. You might too. Right? The, God's promises will 
happen in our lives, but not on our human timeline. The third thing we learn, right, from Joseph's complete transformation by God is that God trained Joseph to fulfill this specific role. Okay, God trained Joseph, right? I mean, not only did he build his character, not only did he build his maturity, right? not only did he grow in his connection with God, but he also trained him in the things of how to manage a country, Right? And that you see that, right? He, he first managed a household, then he managed a big organization in the prison, and then he ends up managing an entire country. God was training him in the things of the world and how to manage stuff, not just training his character. He was also being trained in, in who God was and in his trust, right? And his own faith journey, he was being trained 100% by God in that, but he was also being trained to fulfill the, the specific role God needed him to fulfill. He was trained by God. Right? And we see that plan play out. Right, for this specific role. Again, we saw this cycle repeat in Joseph's life several times of climbing the ladder of responsibility and influence and authority. And through this, he gained the human skills needed to fulfill the role that God needed him to fulfill in the midst of this bumper crops and this famine. And those skills are incredibly important. Right? And Joseph had to learn those lessons. But even as important as those skills are, it is not as important to God as your character development and your spiritual maturity. That is far more important than even those earthly skills. In fact, if you remember back in week two, that was literally one of the fill-ins on the outline, was that your faith journey is incredibly important to God. And that is 100% true. Right? Yes, God will help you learn the, the worldly, you know, tactical skills you need, right? but he, most importantly, will also develop you spiritually. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, we're told, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come, right? Is physical training good? Yes, it is, right? You need physical training. Joseph needed that physical training on how to manage, you know, people and, and, and organizations and, and all of that, right? He needed that physical training, but he needed the, the godly training, the character training more, right? And he got both. And God trained Joseph to fulfill that specific role. Right, and so, again, where are we at in our faith journey? Where are we moving in our spiritual training? Right, are we moving forward in our faith journey? And we brought it up a few different times in this series, but as we look at this, the overall big picture strategy of our church, of our spiritual journey, is attend, grow, serve, lead, and mentor. And we can look back at Joseph's life, and we see all of these. We see him grow through these phases in his life. Right, to the place where he is ready to, to mentor right, and, and pour into other people and to lead from a very high level, a second in command of Egypt. Right, in fact, if, and if you read all of the, the, the chapters we skipped over, is like literally the, they're at the top of world power at this moment because, because they're the only ones that have food. Right? They gain everything, literally. Like, I mean, world domination is where Egypt is at in this moment. And Joseph's second in charge, right? Because God has developed his character. Again, where are you at on that spiritual journey? Are you moving forward, right, in your earthly skills, 
but also, more importantly, in your spiritual development. The the last thing we see, I want to point out, of, of Joseph's story and of his character that we see happen here is that true relational restoration is possible through submission to God. True relational restoration is possible through submission to God. Okay, and we see this happen between him and his brothers. Right, even after he'd been badly treated, even after they had deceived him, right, like literally they, they started this all in motion. Right, and, and yet we, we see this, this restoration happen between them in verses 14 and 15. And, and again, think about what would have been Joseph's fleshly response to his brothers. If his character had not been developed, right? If, if he was not spiritually in a place with God to handle this, how would he, what would he have done to his brothers in this moment? He would have held on to a grudge. Right? He, would have, he would have got back at them. He would have um, made them suffer. Right? Ultimately, Joseph had the choice in this moment to let them die. I mean, he had that power. If he did not give them food, if he didn't bring them there, they would have died. I mean, that's exactly what the text says. And he had that choice to make. But he didn't make that choice, did he? Right? If he acted in his flesh, the entire family would have been wiped off the face of the planet. But he didn't act in his flesh, right? He acted through the Spirit of God. Through the Spirit of saving, right? Of, of uniting this family back together, of finding true restoration, in, in Hebrews 12, 10 and 11, it says, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might um, share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And again, we see Joseph's life, right? He ended up at this peaceful harvest of his right living with his brothers as this family gets reunited. Was all that Joseph went through painful? Absolutely. But he was able to get to a place of a peaceful harvest of right living with his brothers. Right? This was only possible because of God's transforming his, his character and maturing his faith. Now, in order for true restoration to happen, both sides need to submit to God. Right? Both sides need to submit to God. It's not just on Joseph. It was also on his brothers. And, and like I said, we skipped over this big part of the story where Joseph messes with his brothers before he reveals his identity. And I tell you, I have always thought every time, and I've gone through this story, right, up until this time, studying the story again, preparing for these messages, I've always thought that this section was about Joseph giving into his flesh and taking revenge on his brothers by messing with them. Hey, however, I just saw that in the text, and just God revealed to me that I saw something different this time. Hey, that, that I saw how God uses this time to soften the hearts of his brothers, and to prepare them for the moment of big reveal. That time of going back and forth was not actually about Joseph at all, right? It was about his brothers. 
In fact, in the midst of this, kind of at, right before Joseph reveals his identity, in Genesis 44, verse 16, the brothers come to the conclusion that God is punishing us for our sins. Okay, that's a, literally what it says in 44, 16. And the brothers had to get to that place to be ready to respond to Joseph in the right way. Okay, in that, that moment, again, there, there probably was maybe a little bit of Joseph's flesh involved in that whole process, right? But, but yet it was more about his brothers being prepared for the big reveal, okay, for their hearts to be ready because both sides need to submit and surrender to God for true restoration to happen. It's not a one-sided thing. Okay, both sides need to submit for it to happen. And again, true restoration happens, right? What it says to the, the very last verse, right? It says at 15, after they received forgiveness from Joseph. In verse 15, it says then, after that, they began talking with him freely, right? And that's when they all finally came back to true resolution, right? And they could accept the help that Joseph was giving them, right? We see how that, now we see how Joseph walked through this. We saw how the brothers responded, and now the question to each of us, is how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to God's offer to save us? How are we going to respond to God's discipline of us and building our character and maturing our faith? How are we going to respond to, to living in community and, and, and helping other people and, and us getting out of the way? Right? How are we going to respond to, to all of these things right, that Joseph finally gets to and handles right? How are we going to respond to that? Again, I have no idea where you're at in your faith journey, but I do know that God wants you to move forward. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you never joined the journey of faith, then, then you need to do that today. Right? And accept God's grace and his forgiveness, and then let his spirit indwell your heart and your mind right? so that you start doing life with God. And when you join the journey of faith, then you start this process of God maturing and, and, and changing us from the inside out by his spirit. Right? As he builds our character and, and, and matures our faith, and as we move forward, will we move forward? And will we get to that place, even where Joseph gets, right, where he just praises God that he's at this place. He's like, God has done this. This is awesome. Can we get to that place? Right, where we give God the glory. Right, and say, this was all God's plan. Can we do that? How will we respond? This is my final thought to this series Today is this. Once you join the journey of faith, God starts the work of transforming and maturing your character so you can fulfill a divinely appointed role in his kingdom. Will you surrender to the next step in that process? Will you surrender to the next step in that process? Like I said, whether the next step is salvation, whether the next step is just confession, right? Whether the next step is, is stepping up to lead, right? Maybe that next step is serving somewhere. Maybe it's, it's saying getting baptized, right? Whatever the next step is, will you commit to the next step? Will you fully surrender to God and to his plan and to his timeline in your life? I hope you will. Lord God, you are an amazing God. And Lord, we praise you today that you are with us. God, we know that just like Joseph, we will face trials and sorrows and hard times. And Lord, our character and our maturity being built by you is not an easy or fun process, but Lord, we surrender to you today. Lord, we praise you for being a God who is all-powerful. God, who has control over all of creation. 
And yet you're also a God that respects our free will, Lord, and you want us to come to you to love you back. Lord, thank you for loving us even when we're unlovable. Lord, thank you for seeing our sin and still accepting us. Lord, thank you for saving us, for transforming us. God, for guiding us through your spirit. And Lord, I pray that as we go, Lord, we will take the next step in our faith, whatever that is. And God, that as we enter into this Easter season, God, that we will represent you well through this holiday, Lord, as we celebrate your life, your death, and your resurrection. We praise you today for saving us. We praise you today for transforming us. God, we praise you today for the restoration that we can find in you and through your spirit, for the freedom that we have in you. God, as we go, help us to trust you with every phase, with every step, with every role that you need us to fulfill. God, help us to trust you as we live out our faith every day this next week and move forward in our journey to be more like you tomorrow than we are today. Thank you, Lord. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.